Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. Hello, Multi-Amory listeners. This week, we are doing something a little different. We are going to be featuring an interview that I did on the podcast Help Existing, which is hosted by my friend and longtime friend of the show, Rachel Krantz. Uh, Krantz is also the author of Open, an uncensored memoir of love, liberation, and non-monogamy. Rachel and I had a great conversation about boundaries, figuring out what your boundaries are. How do you communicate boundaries in a way that's both firm and compassionate? How can you be both flexible and open to change while also having good boundaries that aren't too porous? Like, Do your strategies with boundaries apply the same way with familial and romantic relationships? So boundaries is a topic that's near and dear to us on Multi-Amory, so we hope that you enjoy. Please go check out Rachel's show, Help Existing. You can go check out her book, and you can also check out the interview that we did with Rachel on Multi-Amory in episode 356. Rachel is also the person who wrote the foreword to our book, Multi-Amory Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, which covers some of our most used communication tools for all types of relationships. You can find links to buy that at multiamory.com book or wherever fine books are sold. And also you can check out the first nine episodes of this podcast, where we also go over some of our most commonly referenced communication tools, if you hear us bring those up on the show. So with that, please enjoy this interview with Rachel and Dedeker. Hey, I'm Rachel Krantz, and this is Help Existing. Today, I'm talking with a dear friend who definitely helps me exist. Her name's Dedeker Winston. She's a relationship coach and also one of the co-hosts of the excellent podcast, Multiamory. She's also the author of The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, and you'll recognize her name perhaps if you read my book, Open, where she's quoted several times, and that's just because she's such a wise person when it comes to communication and relationships, be they non-monogamous, monogamous, familial, or otherwise. And I had the pleasure of reading an advanced copy of Multiamory's book, that's coming out next March, Multi-Amory. And one chapter in particular was about boundaries and boundaries are definitely a hot topic. Um, Some people think the word and concept is overused. Some people think that they are the solution to everything. So I wanted to have an in-depth conversation with Dedeker about boundaries and how to sort out what they are, how would you go about figuring that out? How do you go about communicating them? And I wanted to talk about this in a way that was inclusive of romantic relationships, parental relationships, friendships, whatever else. We had a great conversation that I found personally very helpful in distinguishing the way I could express my boundaries, the way I can continue to figure out what they are, and how I can stay both firm and flexible in them. 
So I started out by asking Dedeker how she would define a boundary. Oh, what isn't a boundary these days? <laughs> oh, I say that only half jokingly because boundaries are such a hot topic. I think they really have become more and more popular. I think when people encounter the concept of boundaries and especially millennials, it can be very exciting. I think it's very exciting to feel like, ooh, we've been given the thing to point to that's going to be the solution to the problem. You know, I can point to this thing in myself of like, aha, if I just fix this one area, then everything else is going to fall into place. Or we can even point to this in other people of, oh, look, like this person clearly has such poor boundaries. Now, if they just fix that, then everything would fall into place. And I do think there's a little bit of a contradiction within the concept of boundaries of, on the one hand, I really don't believe that they're this like one size fits all multi-purpose magic bullet that can solve absolutely everything. Like, I don't think that they're just fundamentally airtight at the end of the day. And also at the same time, I do think that one's personal boundaries can really be a linchpin and a really important focus point that can affect the quality of your life and your relationships with any other human being that you come across. But all that being said, you know, I guess the textbook definition that I would give is that, you know, a boundary refers to any kind of guideline or a limit or a standard that you establish for yourself and that you apply to yourself and then also enforce upon yourself for the purpose of protecting you, yourself, your energy, your space, your time, and also preserving your personal values. Mm, That's a great definition. And You make the distinction between a boundary and a rule not being the same thing. So how is a rule different from what you just described? The thing that I come back to all the time is thinking about boundaries within the realm of this only applies to myself. And then when we're thinking about a rule, that's when I start to think about, okay, now I'm trying to restrict other people's behavior or control other people rules don't necessarily have to be bad. Like I don't think all rules are evil or that all rules are um, inappropriate. But I do think that the reason why I make that joke about like, what isn't a boundary is what I've seen in the last five years or so is kind of this sense that whatever the behavior is or whatever it is that I'm asking of someone or just whatever it is that I'm that I'm pushing back against my relationship, if I slap the label boundary on it, that means it's okay. Because we know that boundaries equals good and important and you have to respect them. And so whatever it is, if I just say, this is my boundary, that's my boundary, then it's going to be okay. And it's not that I want to come in and like police people's language necessarily. I'm more thinking about, are there better ways for us to think about this that just make this feel simpler, more accomplishable, and just a little bit more clear? Because unfortunately, I think like a lot of pop psychology tools or relationship tools you know, anything can be misused and also turned abusive in relationship. You know, just as a tangential example, like I've heard a lot of stories within my own community of uh, the nonviolent communication model is a fantastic model. I highly recommend everyone goes out and Googles it if they're, if they're not familiar with it already. Like really, really fantastic tool. Great place to start from, um, especially if you're struggling with the way that conflict goes in your relationships or the way that communication around 
uncomfortable topics, difficult topics goes in your relationships. And also people have been in relationships where NVC as a tool has been, you know, they've had their heads bludgeoned in with it, essentially, you know, where a partner has used it to like really dictate the way that they converse and the way that they talk and telling them, oh, if you don't talk this particular way, then I can't listen to you or your feelings are not valid or things like that. And so I think the same thing applies with the concept of boundaries is that I do just think that we need to be careful to make sure that we're not kind of trying to ride this wave of, okay, I know that this concept is like, has so much social capital behind it of like, it's infallible and perfect and has to be respected. And therefore I can sort of pack into it a lot of maybe not so great behavior or really not kind behavior, not kind communication at the same time. Right. That's a great point. And I want to get into untangling the subtleties of that throughout this conversation I mean, I guess one thing I get stuck on in the distinction between rules and boundaries, like it makes sense that a rule is something you impose on someone else, a boundary is something you are responsible for enforcing. But sometimes I feel like it is a little bit confusing semantically to me. For example, if your boundary with your ex is like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. If they are trying to call you, then you might say, like, I don't want you to call me anymore, right? But isn't that then enforcing something on them to express, I don't want you to call? Like, what about when you're directly asking people to not do something? It seems that it's never just you responsible for enforcing it because it's always going to be a two-way dynamic of is the person willing to do or not do the thing you're saying is your best. Yes. 100%. And I do think that's where people get a little bit hung up because as you point out, we're not in a vacuum. We're not in this weird sort of like anarchist vacuum where, you know, we're all these kind of like little sovereign planets floating around just responsible for ourselves. Like we, we do live affecting each other and especially when we're in close personal relationship. Um, so the way that I tend to think about these things is I think that you can make any request that you want of any human being. Now, that's a big broad statement. And so, of course, I don't want people to come along and poke holes in it. You know, like I don't want to encourage really unethical or violent behavior, things like that. But when you think about it in the context of negotiating, let's say, a relationship with an ex, you can make a request, right? You can say, I don't want to talk anymore. My request of you is that you don't try to contact me, right? And so... In human relationship, when we make a request, the other person can say yes or they can say no. Or maybe they can say, "Mm, actually, how about this, right? And so then when the responsibility comes back on us is when we have to sit with, okay, if they say yes, how does that change things? If they say no to this request, how does that change things, right? And so if I say to my ex, I don't want you to contact me anymore, please don't text me and don't call me. And if they either say straight out no, or with their actions say no in still choosing to call into text, that's where my boundaries come into play. Because essentially at the end of the day, my my own boundaries are like my last line of defense, right? That prevent me from just being a doormat, of being taken advantage of, of living in a way that doesn't live up to my values. And so that's where my boundary is like, okay, this person said no to this request. And so that means blocking them you know, or it means maybe I reiterate the request is like, Hey, 
I, I don't want to talk to you. I need some time, you know, I need some space from you. And so I'm going to reiterate my request. You know, like, I think another important piece here is that, you know, the way that you enforce your boundaries doesn't always have to look this one particular way. It doesn't have to look the same way that it looks for your friend or for anybody else that it can be scalable depending on what you're receiving in the situation. And so again, if your ex still contacts you, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be the way that I enforce my boundary is that I block you. Maybe it is just that of like, okay, I'm just going to reiterate, Hey, I made this request. Please respect that request. Right. And then if they continue to essentially say no to that request, then you can scale up the boundary as necessary. So it is a little bit of that weird thing of it sort of does require a little bit of participation and reception from the other person. But I think the important moving piece there is that if I put a little too much emphasis on the other person's participation, or if I put a little too much emphasis on the only way that this protects me is if this person gives or does not give me X, Y, Z, then I'm just starting to shift the locus of control and the locus of power a little far farther away from me than I think is maybe the most empowering place to be, right? I think that's the name of the game here is it's all about how can I step into my own empowerment, in my into my own ability to make choices here. And I realize that depending on the context you're in, your choices and your own empowerment may be more expansive or it may be more limited, but sort of within your circumstances, like how can I step into a little bit more empowerment here? You know, as opposed to when I think about maybe the the not so great version of this would be, okay, I have a boundary about not talking to my ex, but instead of me doing anything about it, I'm just going to ask them, hey, don't contact me. Hey, don't contact me. Hey, don't contact me. Hey, don't contact me. And I'm going to keep getting more angry, more upset, more um, destabilized because they keep contacting me, but I'm not literally doing anything to protect myself in this situation. And to describe it that way sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I've seen it play out all the time when people are in that weird gray area of negotiating, how do I want to stay in contact with my ex? You know, sometimes people don't want to be the one to put in the boundary. They, they think that like, oh, if I'm the one to block, that's going to make me look like I'm upset or that I quote unquote lost the breakup or that I'm hurting, you know? So like, there's a lot of things that do hold us back from actually having boundaries. And then that does mean that we, we put ourselves in a position where we're a little bit beholden to the other person. Right. Hmm. Okay, that's a really good distinction. And I think that that is where sometimes that initial feeling of when you start asserting boundaries or figuring out your boundaries, you can think at first, oh, this is the solution. I've certainly felt that myself because I think where there is truth in that is that when you don't know what your boundaries are and they're consistently eroded, you lose self-respect. And that, for me, I think I haven't always realized that that's what's happening until the boundary is up. And then I realize, oh, like, I don't feel as emotionally all over the place. Or, oh, it's easier to maintain a healthy uh, friendship or a healthy relationship. Or I have more energy to do other things. I think people turn to these boundaries. Yeah, maybe in some cases manipulation, but also because really it's been pushed so far for so long that they um, 
they have to finally do that in order to just even figure out who they are apart from a relationship that is very unhealthy. Yeah, that's so interesting to talk about the relationship between self-respect and boundaries. Because I do think that something that's very easy for many of us to do is um, there's this term that I've seen floating around of called concession creep, which is this idea that, like you re- referred to, that sometimes we can be in a relationship where our sense of self, our sense of boundaries, our sense of our standards of what we will and will not tolerate is just really slowly eroded over time like that it happens so slowly that we don't even realize what's going on. I even had a client just this last week talk about how, you know, I know if I had a friend in the same exact situation, I would tell her, that's bullshit. Don't put up with that. You need to stand up for yourself. But when it's myself going through this situation, it's a lot easier to do a little bit of this I guess sort of an indirect calculus of like, okay, but it's okay for me. I can be lenient here. I can back off. Okay. I understand like they, you know, like we kind of give up these little bits and pieces of ourselves slowly over time until you do sometimes wake up one day and you're like, who the heck am I? Like, how am I doing this? And I have 100% been there, you know, where you find yourselves doing things or agreeing to things that you never, ever thought that you would. Um, Now, to talk about the self-respect piece specifically, this is a little bit hard because it's quite subjective and it's very context-dependent. And also, we live in a culture where different people are encouraged to partake in more of that concession creep than others, I would say. Yeah. yeah, usually women, often people of different marginalized identities, you know, just like the people who have not necessarily held the power. I mean, it's all the same shit that we've seen of like, you're encouraged to be quiet, to not take up space, to make yourself smaller, to allow, to be dominated, to go with the flow, you know, to not stand up. And that does trickle over into our personal relationships as well. You know, it echoes the same things that happen on this grander scale. Um, and so, you know, the self-respect piece, like I, I think that sometimes in the past that's been weaponized against people of like, Oh, you just have like such low self-worth or such low self-respect. That's why you're in this bad relationship or that's why you're being abused. And sometimes that may be the case, you know, someone can have some low self-worth or, or low self-respect, but also I think that there's these bigger systems that play in off in a bigger context that just makes it easier to do. And honestly, even if we're, if we're taking out that context and if we're just going to zoom right into looking at just a relationship between two people, the reality is is that we're human and we have these human nervous systems where we do just want to get along and we want to be safe. And even more tragically, we want to hope that this other person has our best interests at heart and will take care of us and won't put us in a situation where we have to push back a little bit or maintain some distance or say no, right? And so again, even if we completely scrub out any socio-historical context on this, it's like on this very human level, it's like we just, we want to feel like we're safe in relationships. And so we hope that we're safe in relationships. And and so that's why it becomes just like even even harder to have to say no to somebody or to even 
negotiate what somebody's, you know, offering you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that people struggle with this. I see the most with my friends and with me, like in terms of family, um, when you know all the context of the intergenerational trauma and also in terms of their most intimate relationships, romantic or otherwise, that it makes sense that, of course, people have problems with boundaries in the workplace and other things too, but I, I just have noticed that it seems like it's the closest relationships where you have the most love for them and also the most context for why are they like this? Why are they doing this? Yes. And you know, especially the better you know them, you know, like they they don't mean to be necessarily a lot of the times pushing your um, your limits or mistreating you in any way, that this is just their particular trauma playing out. And sometimes they have very good reasons for not being better at handling things. And so it's very hard because you you empathize. And I think that's where that concession creep is a really good term because it's like, it's so easy to keep saying, yeah, well, but this doesn't mean as much to me as it does to them, right? Or I I can handle this. And so I can just bite my tongue in this situation, or I can just put up with it because like I'm I'm the one who's more stable or or whatever else. I think the tricky thing is that that quality, I, I do think that quality of flexibility isn't always a terrible thing in our relationships, you know? So so something that I have seen especially among millennials, is I, I think that there can be a tendency to become hyperboundaried, which is a term that I think is starting to pick up traction, which is basically I'm so excited about boundaries that I'm like completely rigid and inflexible, you know? And, and often there is a trauma background to that as well, right? Like sometimes when your boundaries have been eroded either slowly or in really terrible and like sudden and violent ways, sometimes the way that we respond to that is to put up really extreme, harsh boundaries, often in situations where maybe it's not exactly merited. You know, that's that's often a, a clue that there's some trauma or PTSD going on is like if your reaction to something doesn't quite fit what the stimulus is or what the situation is. Um, and so, it, yeah, I think that it's also important for us to be mindful of that and to not just become hyperboundaried, right? Where it's just like, I have no flexibility. I have no compassion. I'm not going to make any concessions for you whatsoever. And so that quality of like, okay, well, this thing is more important to them than it is to me, or I think that I'm more stable right now, or at least I'm maybe less emotionally activated right now, you know, and so I'm going to kind of bring things down. It's like, that's not a terrible quality to have. Again, it's like, it cuts right to our, just our human hearts of just wanting things to be good and things to be safe and things to be okay. Um, I love that you bring up the intergenerational piece of this as well. This is something that I've thought about for ages and I have polled so many of my friends about their moms specifically and like how their moms deal with the concept of boundaries. And again, this is just like an, some armchair sociology. I've not done any empirical research on this, but overwhelmingly what I hear from people, and this is my own experience as well, their mom, they're like, my mom doesn't respect any boundaries and she doesn't have any boundaries herself and no one else in the world does according to her either. <laughs> um, 
I can definitely say that applies to my own mom. You know, my sister and I have been saying for years, you put up a boundary, she digs underneath that fence, <laughs> like finds a way to dig underneath it. And for me, again, just kind of doing armchair analysis on this, I think about the generational differences where I think about the generation that my mom grew up in, both thinking about what things were like when she was a kid, what things were like when she was a teenager, when she was in her 20s, going through first marriages and stuff like that. I'm like, that's that's a pretty long history of never being told that you're allowed to have a boundary, especially as a woman, right? You know, that's a really long history of this bit for all intents and purposes, this concept not really existing and this concept of you being able to say no or say, or to negotiate really not existing. And so for me, that's where the compassion piece comes in of you just grew up in such different context. And honestly, it's going to happen to us too. When us millennials are that age, like the next generation is also going to be saying the same things of like, Oh my God, they don't get this super fundamental thing. Um, that I think is going to be the same thing, but but yeah, I, I I think about that a lot. And I think it goes beyond gender. It goes beyond just moms. Like it is interesting to track kind of just generational differences, thinking about what are the things that we have rights to, like what is autonomy, who gets to have autonomy and how does that get to be expressed, you know, that I think is all stuff that is shifting and changing over time. And sometimes we we bump heads over that because of that. Yeah, that's that's really well put. And it's interesting that you talk about boundaries, this very like millennial concept. So millennials right now are basically figuring out or in the middle of f- figuring out how to have adult, like fully adult relationships with their parents. And a lot of them maybe are learning more about, uh, you know, emotional abuse and and gaslighting and other things where they're like, I don't want to be talked to in certain ways anymore but then I can see how there's maybe also potentially that's being wielded as a weapon or becoming rigid or overcorrected and becoming like this is just now my boundary and there's such a uneven power dynamic of the parent doesn't want to lose the relationship with the child I was curious to hear your thoughts on like that kind of critique from maybe especially a parent but also just someone in general who just feels like okay they're saying they have a boundary, but I feel like what they're basically saying is, I only want to have a relationship with you on my own terms. Sure. And I think that's a totally valid critique. Um, It does remind me of a client of mine sent me this song that was apparently in a musical episode of the show Transparent. um, And the song, and it is about a mom and a daughter. And and the title of the song is Your Boundary is My Trigger, (laughs) which I feel like it just encapsulates the whole issue right there. And again, not just with parents and children, but I think that that's where people run into conflict with all this stuff is that someone puts up a boundary and that really triggers me in some way or the way that they put up a boundary or they, I don't know, they made a demand or an ultimatum or created a rule and called that a boundary. And that's really triggering and upsetting and abandoning for me or things like that. So it's definitely, I think, a fundamental part of the way that we bump into each other with these things. And just the reverse of that too, I would just jump in and add, your trigger is my boundary. (laughs) It's often the case, right? It's like, it's so obvious they're acting out of their emotional triggers. Usually when someone's doing something that's violating your boundary, it's clearly their own abandonment issues or their own, you know, anger or their whatever else. 
Yes, you're so right. So I had an interesting unintentional lesson in this. So last year, I started going to couples therapy with my mom, actually, which, yeah, I'll call it awesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, though, after spending like a year in like we were going to therapy together every other week or so. I will call it awesome. Genuinely. It really transformed our relationship. And I never in a million years thought that my mom would go to therapy with me or therapy at all. Uh, That side of the family is like very conservative Republican, poor working class, you know, like not really the demographic that you think would jump straight into therapy as a mother and daughter as soon as they're, they're getting into any kind of conflict. And so it was totally amazed that she even took me up on it. And when I started talking to some of my friends and my peers about, hey, I'm doing this or I'm going to do this with my mom, the overwhelming sentiment was, your parents are just your parents. Like, you don't have the option to negotiate that or to change that relationship. Like, you're kind of stuck with them the way that they are. And part of that is true. I think that if we had the ability to wave a magic wand and change something about our parents, 100% of us would, <laughs> you know, but, but I, like, that was really interesting to me. I was like, huh, that's, that's fascinating. And I could definitely relate to that, right? This sense that like, this is all carved in stone. There's no changing this relationship, you know? And for most of us, it's literally the oldest relationship you have. Right. And so that's why it can feel so intractable and just totally fixed. And like these patterns are so well-worn that there's no getting out of it. And so I do think that that sense of not feeling empowered at all in the relationship or to change the relationship is what does inspire people to be like, okay, I need to do this super, super harsh boundary. And again, there's situations where that's totally appropriate right? You know, people have some like horrible, horrible family relationships, parental relationships, extremely abusive, extremely toxic. And, you know, there are situations where I do think it's 100% appropriate to go as far as you possibly can with the boundaries to protect yourself. But I also think there's a lot of situations where that's not necessarily the case. You know, for me, what inspired me to even pitch this idea to my mom was, you know, I've been on this personal journey the last 10 years of figuring out my personal relationships and started working then as a coach and working one-on-one on clients and then starting to work with couples and like doing all this couples therapy training and like really learning about the ways that I can help empower people to feel more empowered to, to affect change in their relationships or to affect change in communication patterns. And of course, started applying that to my own life and like absolutely loving it you know, loving the ways that I could communicate with the people who were closest to me, the way that I can negotiate and just like really directly express the things that I needed. And then looking at my relationship with my mom and realize I, none of that, like there, there's no, there's none of that there. I realize there's no collaboration in how this relationship is and how it functions, where there's collaboration in a lot of the other relationships I have in my life, from my romantic ones, sexual ones, friendships. and so. I I do think that there's something about this kind of collaborative energy that I do think is an ideal in relationships that, again, ideal, which doesn't always match up with reality. But I do think the ideal is that we, as two people, we can come together and we can co-create our relationship and kind of collaborate on like how we want this to function. And maybe it won't work out because maybe our needs and wants are just like a little bit too 
on opposite ends of the spectrum, but ideally we can find ways to negotiate and collaborate and just find what works for us. And so I think in my situation, working on all this stuff with my mom finally started to unlock at least some sense of that collaboration. It's definitely not 100% perfect and it never will be 100% perfect, but at least there's this sense of we can both see how we're contributing to this relationship and can make requests of each other and also can take ownership of our own behavior and how we want to show up. I do think that in parent-child relationship, even if we could dial up the sense of collaboration by like 10%, would help a lot. For people listening and wondering on the practical end, was that something you were able to get covered with insurance? How does that work if, oh, if God, you want to no. go with your mom and she has different insurance? No. That's something you have to pay out of Yeah, we were also living in different states, so it was like a complicated thing. We, I did a bunch of research and found a practice of therapists who all specialized in mothers and daughters. And then we basically just had to negotiate like a special rate, right? That would make sense for both of us. And fortunately, the practice was open to giving us a sliding scale. So we were fortunate enough in, in that the practice that we went to was willing to work with us. But I know that's definitely not the case for everybody. Um... I mean, yeah, insurance coverage for these sort of things is so fraught. I mean, there's there's very little couples therapy that's actually covered by insurance, even for people in romantic relationships. So, so yeah, that's also just one piece of, again, a bigger systemic issue here. Hey, everybody, we hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that you can support this show. We love being part of a community of people like Rachel Krantz who are making content and putting it out there into the world for free. And the way that we're able to do that is through our sponsorships and through support from listeners like you. So please take a moment, check them out, see if any are interesting to you. And you can also go to multiamory.com slash join and learn how to support the show and join our private communities there. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I want to get the the language clear in a way that might be helpful for the listeners, what are some ways that you found are particularly good for phrasing boundaries? From my perspective, you know, boundaries are all about what's my behavior? What are my choices? What are my actions? What am I going to do in this situation? And what that means is depending on the situation, I may not even need to express my boundary to someone verbally, right? Because if it's really just about me, I'm really the only one who needs to know what the boundary is. There are some situations where, of course, there needs to be a buy-in or or it is going to be the most ethical thing to let someone know, hey, this is my boundary, rather than letting them just like trump all over you and then you get mad at them or things like that. Um, but, you know, so I just want to back up and say that like we don't always 
we're not always going to be in a situation where we're having to verbally express our boundary. And I can give a personal example of this where a few years ago, I did have a particular family member from my dad's side of the family who does not have like great opinions about my mom's side of the family necessarily. And so every time this person would ask me when I was on a visit, like, oh, how's your mom doing or things like that? For many years, I would just be honest of like, oh yeah, this is going on. And pretty much whatever I said, this particular family member would have something negative to say, would have some kind of criticism or some kind of judgment. And then of course, that would put me in a weird position of like, I don't know, I feel caught between two sides of the family, all my divorced child baggage is coming up and I don't know how to deal with yeah. this, right? <laughs> um And I didn't feel like I could make a request without it causing a ton of conflict. And so I put a boundary on myself of if this family member asks any of those type of questions, I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, um, she's fine. Everyone's great. Thanks for asking. And then I'm going to change the subject. And so I didn't have to walk up to this family member and be like, by the way, this is my boundary. So if you do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to leave or I'm going to change the subject or I'm just going to say this. Like I didn't have to say anything, but the end result was I've been doing that for years now and it's been great because this person doesn't have the opportunity to rattle off something critical or judgmental or put me in a position where I'm having to weirdly defend one side of the family. And it's it's been a victory in the sense that it's protected me. It's protected my time. It's protected my energy and it's protected my values of not wanting to trash talk one side of the family to the other side of the family. And I could do all that without needing to have this big, serious, dramatic conversation of you need to know what my boundary is. Now, if things had gone differently, or maybe if I, if I decide that's my boundary and I tell that person, oh yeah, everyone's fine. They're doing great. And then I change the subject and maybe they keep coming back to it, like really keep prying or really keep wanting to know, then maybe it's sort of a phase two deployment of boundaries where then maybe I do need to say something of like, hey, actually, I don't want to talk about this, you know, but it didn't reach that point. So I, I don't think I have any guidelines that will apply to any and all situations, but I do think if we want to get to the spirit of this, you know, it's about protecting yourself and I suppose ideally also preserving your relationships or at least making your relationships go smoothly or feel more at ease in your relationships. But I do think it is important to just be clear with yourself about what's the end goal here. And this is when it can get really sticky because when we're activated and when we're hurt or when someone's activating some of our attachment trauma or stuff like that, these desires to hurt the other person can come up or to control the other person or to make the other person feel just as guilty as they're making you feel guilty can really color how we approach these things and how we choose to enforce the boundary. That's where it starts to get a little bit sticky. You know, um, I've definitely been in situations in romantic relationships where I put up a boundary. Oh gosh. The one that I feel like the lesson that I'm trying to learn <laughs> The lesson that I feel like I've had to learn three times now is the I need to take space boundary, which is the, you know, maybe someone's really effed up real bad in relationship, at least by my standards, or they've really hurt me. And so I decide like, okay, I need to take some time and space away from this. And I put in that boundary, but still have the hope of, okay, I'm going to put in this boundary. And then during this time away from me, they're going to be so <laughs> sorry. And so sad, you know, 
I've taken myself out of their life and they're just gonna be like, oh my God, what did I ever do without her? And so that means when we end this period of no contact or space, then their their behavior is going to be fixed or their mind is going to be changed or, you know, like I'm going to get exactly what I want, you know? And again, it's that weird like way where like our motivations kind of, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, of course I wouldn't call myself manipulative, right, no. but right. if I'm honest with myself at the end of the day, I'm like, there is that hope. Right. Or, right? or hope that, that the boundary will change the other person's behavior, which yes. I mean, it, but it, does sometimes work, right? Maybe less often in romantic relationships, but I've seen that mm-hmm. work for people with their parents quite well or mm-hmm. or siblings mm-hmm. or things like that, where it, it does mm-hmm. seem to radically change things when they have those patterns. Yeah, but so then the tricky thing is, and what I've had to learn so many times, is then when it doesn't quote-unquote work, where they didn't change their behavior or they didn't change their mind or I'm not getting what I want, can I still maintain that boundary? Is it still a boundary? Or was it really just me trying to change them and control them? Because this is when things start to really fall apart is let's say I'm like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you for a week. That's my boundary. I need this space. And then I come back after a week and like you still haven't changed your mind or, or you're not giving me what I want. Do I then try to whip out a different tactic? Uh, you know, it's like ultimately still trying to get you what, get what I want out of you. Or is it more about protecting myself? And that's really, really hard. We really hope for the people that are close to us, the people who love us to care for us and to want the same things that we want and to give us the things that we want and that we need in a relationship. And then when we're not getting those things, it is so, 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 so hard to come to that conclusion of like, okay, I need to protect myself or I need to take myself out of the relationship. I think the thing that I'm circling around is the fact that when you put up a boundary or enforce a boundary, especially in a place where you have not before, you know, chances are good that it may cause some conflict, right? You know, or cause some sort of reaction. But conflict isn't necessarily the defining characteristic of a boundary. Sometimes I do think folks feel like boundaries are are like a weapon, you know, like this is my only weapon on me. And so of course I have to clobber people with it, or of course I have to be extremely harsh or intense with it. And Again, sometimes that's appropriate, but I don't think it is the defining characteristic of a boundary. And I think like these examples that I've talked about where it's just like, I'm just telling this boundary to myself and I don't need to tell anybody else about it. And as long as that's working and and it's preserving the relationship, which is something that I want, and it's also preserving myself and my energy and my autonomy, then it's good, you know, and I didn't have to clobber anybody with it. So then in terms of the phrasing, let's say you've realized, okay, it's not working as an internal boundary. I'm going to need to articulate this clearly, but I don't want to do it in a way that's rigid. I, I guess I'm curious how you think we can, when we have to have these difficult conversations, frame it in a compassionate and, and clear way. Yeah, totally. And again, I think this is assuming we've already tried to go the route of making a request, to try to go the route of collaborating, and then now we need to go the route of, okay, no, I just need to put a boundary in. We just need to check ourselves of, am I hoping that by telling this person that this is my boundary, that that's going to solve everything about their behavior? You know, like, can I still follow through with this even if their behavior doesn't change or if they've said no to all of my requests? the sort of the request formula that I give people is just starting with, 
I feel X about Y situation. I need Z or I would like Z or I would appreciate Z, Mm. right? So we can start with, I feel confused, overwhelmed, unsure about staying in contact with each other during this time. I would appreciate if we could agree to not contact each other for the next 30 days or so, mm-hmm. right? And then they say yes, or they say no, or they say, oh, but what about this? Or what about that? And we have that conversation. And then if they keep bothering you, you know, even after you've made that request, then maybe it is like, hey, I made this request and it's not being honored. And so I'm going to do X, you know? I've decided that I'm going to I'm going to block you on my phone for the next 30 days or whatever it is. Again, like that sort of phrasing just that example that I pulled off the top of my head, you can deliver that in a really shitty way, <laughs> in painful way, and you can deliver that in a really compassionate right. way. It you know, I I in my definition of boundary, they talked about preserving your values and I do think some of this exercise does come down to figuring out what those values are. And sometimes our values are uncomfortable. And so, for instance, I mean, I just went through a breakup at the beginning of the year, like a really painful, intense one, and communicating with him, you know, figuring out logistics of like getting my stuff back and like all the kind of like wrap up stuff that you unfortunately have to do at the end of a relationship. It was really, really, really hard not to be nasty or not to be passive aggressive. But I think that I've done a lot of work over the years of knowing that at the end of the day, a fundamental value of mine is to, you know, treat someone like a human being and to offer as much compassion and kindness and empathy that I can within my own limits. And so it was really uncomfortable, but I felt good that at least I kind of lived up to my values in that regard. And I think this is the same thing, like if you're negotiating with an ex or in a personal relationship of just figuring out what actually motivates you here. And I needed a lot of help from my therapist constantly reminding me, yes, that is a good choice. It's a good choice for you to not say something nasty. And so I guess what I'm saying there is just the fact that like this stuff is not comfortable most of the time. And it's especially not comfortable if not only are you working through painful feelings, but you're also trying to be a decent human being at the same time to maybe someone that you don't feel deserves it even, even harder. And so this is another area where it is important, I think, to get support around if you're having trouble putting up a boundary in a way that you think matches your values, you know, whether that's support through a therapist or a professional or just through a friend that you trust or a family member or a partner or things like that. I think where a lot of people struggle, particularly in relationships where maybe there's been the most boundary erosion consistently over a long time, or they are part of one of those marginalized groups that is supposed to just keep taking it. They're like, the problem is I've lost touch with like, I don't even know what my boundaries are. And I'm not even sure like what my values are apart from this other person's values. So yeah, I'm wondering suggestions you have for figuring that out. Yeah. So values, the way that I distinguish these things is I think about values are about what you do want in your life and in your relationships and boundaries are more there to protect you from the things that you don't want. But it's important to be clear on both, right? Um, So a few years ago, I believe I stumbled across this exercise for figuring out your own values and again, this is just a starting point. I think this is a lifelong investigation for for all of us. But 
you know, it was basically a writing exercise where you sit down and you think about a time in your life when you felt the most proud and you get specific about what was going on, what was going on in my life, what was going on in my work, what was going on in my relationships at that time. And then you think about a time in your life where you felt the happiest and same thing, what was going on in my life, work, relationships, whatever's important, you know, just really getting a snapshot of what was going on at that time. And thinking about what was the time in my life when I felt the most fulfilled and satisfied, you know, what was going on in work, relationships, life, all these things. And from there, you can start to piece together, like, what is the goodness that I seek in my life? Or what are the good things in my life or the good things that I have experienced that, and this is beyond just I don't know, memories of a fun trip or or a fun date or whatever it was, it kind of gets to the heart of like really what's the juice there for you as a human being. And I think connecting to like the feeling proud and also the feeling fulfilled and satisfied gets there beyond just like when you felt happier when you're having fun. It gets to really what you feel like, again, just like fulfills you the most. And so there... I mean, I think is a really, really powerful exercise. And ever since I did it just a couple of years ago, like I think about it all the time. You know, I ended up coming up with these three words essentially. And it, it can be helpful. You can Google like list of values or examples of values. Sometimes it's helpful to have just like a word list to pick from to start getting those th that ball rolling. And all the time now when I'm in situations where I'm not sure what to do next or I feel a little bit lost or a little bit confused, I will pull up that list of those three values and think about, well, with these values in mind, does that influence my decision? And it's never like a crystal ball of like, this is exactly what you can do, but it more often than not really, really helps with decision-making or really helps me to clarify what I should be focusing on in that particular situation. And so I do think connecting to that for folks can be really, really helpful almost to kind of connect to a sense of an ideal self or a more fulfilled self. And then you can think about what are the ways that my relationship, my life context are chipping away at that or where I feel like I need to shrink away that part of myself or where I feel like there's things blocking me from actually living to this particular value. And that can be a really important place to start. Um, the other side of this that I think is really helpful for folks, again, thinking more about through this lens of what I don't want as opposed to what I do want um, is to think about if this was happening to your best friend, what would you tell them, right? Like, if they're experiencing this same behavior or they're suffering in this particular way, what would you tell them? You know, what boundary do you think that your friend needs to have? And sometimes that is the, all the clarification that we need to understand, you know, the ways that we can be shifting or the ways that we can protecting ourselves in a better way. The book you have coming out soon, you just delve into so much around communication in this book that is so, so helpful. And there's an entire chapter on boundaries Something I learned that I was hoping you could maybe explain is the the self acronym as a way yes. of remembering, kind of summarizing some of the boundary things we talked about. Yeah, the self acronym. So S-E-L-F. So that stands for search, evaluate, live it, and follow through. And so what that means with boundaries, so we start with the search, right? Thinking about what is going on in my life currently that feels like it's running counter 
to my values or what has gone in my life in the past that I feel like has run counter to my values? What are the, where are the places that I'm hurting? Where are the places where I feel like there's friction, especially in particular relationships? Um, what behaviors from others are clashing with my own standards of behavior? So that's the searching phase. And it can be really helpful for people to journal, maybe talk to a therapist or talk to a friend, just sort of throwing spaghetti against the wall of just trying to figure out what is there? You know, are there any patterns? Like, have I noticed that like, oh yeah, always in my working situations, I end up totally overcommitted and resentful. Or yeah, I I get really upset because my dad is constantly interrupting me when we're having conversations, you know? So it's just sort of taking stock and maybe even writing some things down. And then we move on to E, the evaluate step, which is thinking about, okay, what are some boundaries that I could put in here? Let me evaluate what are the self-protective measures that I might try, you know? So it could be things like if someone interrupts me, I'm going to stop the conversation. I'm going to walk away. Or it could be if I'm at work and my manager asks me to take on this particular task at 4.45 PM on a Friday, I'm just going to say no, or I'm going to say, great, I'll do that on Monday or whatever it is, you know? Um, And then it's also evaluating whether or not I can maintain that. So again, like, is it actually possible for me to enforce this boundary in the way that I'm envisioning? Would I actually do it? Can I consist consistently enforce this across all situations? Can I enforce this even if I don't have the other person's buy-in or the other person doesn't change their behavior in the way that I wish that they would? So this is sort of like your your R&D, your development phase with the boundary. And then we move on to L, the live it phase, which is the, now we put it into practice. And again, like we talked about earlier, this can look so many different ways. You know, the reason why we just called it live it as opposed to go tell someone about it or verbalize it or things like that is that it maybe it doesn't get verbalized. Maybe that's the most appropriate thing for this situation. Or maybe it is, you know, maybe there is a couple people on the short list of, um, you know, people who need to know that this boundary is going to be in place. And then the F is the follow through, which again is sometimes the hardest part is the I can consistently use it. I can consistently communicate it if I have to. And then I also can consistently enforce it. And if there's issues enforcing it, which can be either external, like maybe you are in a situation or in a relationship where actually enforcing boundaries is punished or makes life way more difficult for you, or you put up a boundary and this person just tunnels under it in some particular way. Or there could be something internal of, I feel too guilty to say anything, or I feel too conflict averse to change my behavior or to walk out of the room or whatever it is, you know, then you can kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit of like, okay, let me think about a version of this that I actually can do or how I might tweak this or change this. So yeah, that's our self acronym. I do think that this is a process where as we grow and change as human beings, our boundaries also grow and change over time. And as our relationships shift and our needs shift, our boundaries are also going to shift. And so I think it's just important that in addition to having boundaries at all, we also have sort of a, maybe even a little bit of a recursive process where we're checking in with ourselves on how well is this working? Mm. How could it work better? You know, how can I actually enforce this? How can I make it so that this actually gets me the things that I want in life? And so that was sort of the whole purpose of 
creating the acronym is to make that a little bit easier for folks to come back to on a more regular basis instead of just having this floating amorphous sense of boundaries that I picked up from an Instagram post (laughs) that I'm trying to wrap my mind around. You also write about in the book, like beware of porous boundaries. Um, So I wanted to talk about like digging into the subtleties of that line of on the one hand being flexible and open to the fact that your boundaries can shift and just because you don't want to be doing something now doesn't mean it always has to be that way in the future without falling into and all my boundaries are porous. Yeah, I think that requires some regular temperature checks of your own, this is going to sound corny, but regular temperature checks of your own heart, really, of when I'm in this particular relationship or when I'm interacting with this particular person, do I feel full of resentment? Or do I find myself preemptively bracing all the time? Or is there a particular obligation or a particular person where I'm always just like dreading to interact with them? That could be a sign, again, could be a sign of some porous boundaries. Like I think it's just a temperature check of like, what's the quality of your relationships? What's the quality of your life? What's the quality of your heart? Right. And so, you know, if it feels like I'm just a doormat or people take advantage of me or I make requests and then no one honors those requests or things like that, like could be a sign of some porous boundaries. Again, this starts to get into this weird territory where we don't want to be victim blaming anybody because, you know, what creates a successful boundary is not just your willpower as an individual. But again, if it's something that you're concerned about, I think that's the place to start is just, again, taking the inventory of like, where are the areas where I feel resentment or dread in my life? And is there any way that I could be better protecting myself against that? Mm, That's great. I really love that as a barometer and resentment in general is a really good thing to listen to that I think sometimes people just think that's that's just the way the relationship is. Like it just makes me feel resentful and that's just <sighs> being alive. And it's like, yeah. no, actually remembering that we're not actually doing the other person any favors in the ultimate sense. If we, our interactions with them are secretly filled or not so secretly filled with resentment and dread, um, that often there's probably some good reasons for that of their misbehaving in some way that maybe they need to address in themselves or work on. So I think that can be helpful sometimes to remember that there's a way you can do it in a spirit of compassion, even if the other person can't hear that yet, that it's not in itself a mean thing to be doing, even though it really feels like it sometimes that it can actually in the ultimate sense be something you're doing in a compassionate way, first and foremost for yourself, but also for the other person because you don't want to interact with them in a negative way or you don't want to reinforce patterns in them that you know are actually them hurting themselves as well. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That was was a great sum up. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been helpful for sure for me. Good. I'm so glad. We hope that that interview was helpful for you. Again, that was Help Existing, hosted by the beloved Rachel Krantz. You can go follow her show and you can find more of her work at racheljkrantz.com. 
The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners about this episode is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to multiamory.com slash join. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.